is the World Vegan Travel Podcast. I'm Bridie, one of the founders of World Vegan Travel Tours, and the World Vegan Travel Podcast is all about showing you how you might explore this world as a vegan. We do, we do different types of episodes. We share our vegan travel experiences and the experiences of others to inspire you to get out into this beautiful world. And we conduct interviews with people doing amazing things to promote vegan travel, as well as individuals and organizations that are protecting human and non-human animals in a destination you could be visiting. So let's get right into it. In today's episode, we'll be talking to Alina. Alina has a vegan hospitality business based in Japan called Vegan Omotenashi. I think I've got that right. Alina is the first consultant in Japan professionally trained by Vegan Hospitality, which is a training company created by Meredith Marin, a former podcast guest who talked with us about Aruba. Don't worry, I've got it linked in the show notes there for you. Alina has been living in Japan since 2015 and she is an influential part of the vegan community and knows the Japanese market well. Seeing the challenges that vegans had when dining out, she decided to launch her consulting business, Vegan Omotenashi, in the summer of 2022, so it's brand new, in order to provide support and education for businesses in the hospitality sector. Her mission is to encourage and educate restaurants and hotels, chefs and staff all over Japan to help them start catering to vegans, while also promoting new vegan-friendly products available in the country. As a result, she hopes that traveling within Japan will get easier for vegan tourists and tourism in Japan will be ready to serve a new market. As you will discover in this episode, Alina has immersed herself in her host country and she is keen to share some of the wonderful aspects of Japanese culture with you, our listeners. In this episode, we will discuss how Alina ended up in Japan and what she's doing now, the location of Kyoto, the differences between Kyoto and Tokyo, reasons why visitors would like to go to Kyoto, some incredible itineraries for this two days, which is usually the amount of time that people have when they go and visit uh, Kyoto in Japan, etiquette to consider when visiting shrines and temples, and how to enjoy the best of Kyoto as a vegan, and also Alina's personal restaurant tips and recommendations. But first, this podcast is sponsored by World Vegan Travel, the group talk company where vegan and vegan curious travellers can experience the best of vegan travel to incredible destinations around the world. As some of you know, we hope to have a trip to Japan in 2023, but the continued border closures are stopping us from doing the necessary research. However, we do still want to do this trip. And if you are interested in Japan, we really invite you to go onto our website and sign up to be on the notified list first. So when you put your information into this little form, you'll get advance notice of this trip going live. We'll have a link to the trip in the show notes or just go onto our website and scroll down and you see our Japan trip. We have more than 300 people on this waiting list. So make sure that you add your name because this trip is definitely going to sell out. There are a lot of resources and destinations we talk about in this episode, so make sure you look at the show notes and the blog post to get all of the details. Let's chat with Alina. Hello, Alina. Welcome to the World Vegan Travel Podcast. I'm so excited you're here with me today. 
Thank you for having me. All right. Now we are going to be talking about a topic, Japan and specifically shrines, geisha and green tea and stories from Kyoto. And as I was talking to you before we press record, Japan is a very interesting destination for our travelers. We haven't run a trip to Japan yet, but we have got a lot of people on the waiting list. So I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to listen to this podcast as well. So before we get started with the content, Alina, I would love it if you wouldn't mind telling the audience, why is it that you are an expert in Japan? Because you actually live in Japan, but you're not Japanese. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I have been born in Romania. I'm Romanian. And I have been studying Japanese since quite an early age, quite a young age, since I was about 14 years old. And after I finished my studies in Romania, my biggest dream at that time was to come to Japan. So I applied for a scholarship and I managed to come to Kobe University in Japan to continue my studies. And that was about seven years ago. So I decided to remain in Japan after I finished my studies at Kobe University. And in 2020, I started working in Tokyo in a Japanese company. Okay, so your Japanese must be pretty good by now. Yes, I don't want to say that by myself, but <laughs> yes, often people tell me that they couldn't make the difference and they thought that maybe I'm half Japanese or something like that. That really is quite a testament to the amount of effort that you've put into learning this quite difficult language. So well done you. That's so amazing. All right. You have a little bit of a connection with the tourism industry as well, correct? Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little about that? Yes. Before I came to Japan, I actually finished my university in Romania, but after finishing my studies there and before coming here, I had a, about one year because in Romania, university finishes in June or July. And the next year, university starts in April in Japan. So I had about one year and I needed to do something with it. I joined a travel agency in Romania and I was working at the desk at first, but after that I took a tour guide training. So I became a tour guide. I was guiding Japanese tourists in Romania. It was very, very short time, but it was very enjoyable and a very rewarding job. I could imagine that would have been a real opportunity for you to practice Japanese, because if I have got my timeline right, you hadn't been to Japan by then, correct? Yes. So I'm just trying to imagine myself in a similar situation. If I was tour guiding people in a language I've only studied at university and not living in the country, because yes. the level of language acquisition that you need to have in order to be able to talk about history and culture and all of these things, managing a group in a way that's very nice. Yeah. I think you must have very advanced language <laughs> skills. It's really amazing. <laughs> All right. Not only are you an incredible bilingual, trilingual person, at least three languages and living in Japan and a love for everything 
Japanese, but you're also vegan and you are doing some interesting mm -hmm. things in the vegan space. Could you tell us about those? Uh, yes, so I became vegan actually after coming to Japan, uh, after about one year of living in Japan. And actually, yes, first I was uh, more like flexitarian and after that I switched to vegetarian and after that to vegan and later to buying all the house products and cosmetics, also vegan. It took a while to get there. It took about three years until I became fully vegan. And I tried to do what, whatever I could because in Japan, veganism is still not so popular. So I tried to spread the word by social media and, but that was, it was just social media. I felt that I wasn't doing too much. Last year, I took a vegan hospitality consulting training conducted by Meredith Marin, which I think you had on the podcast some time ago. <laughs> yes, she talked about Aruba. Yes. So I'm trying to do vegan hospitality consulting here in Tokyo and all over Japan, actually. Uh, since I'm the only uh, trained consultant in Japan at this moment. <laughs> so I'm trying to um, start my own business on this and to help restaurants to serve vegan customers and hoping to make Japan a bit more vegan friendly. Fantastic. Congratulations and good luck with all of that. Today is my last day at my office job and I'm quitting my job this month and I'm starting full time next month in my new business. That is really exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. So let's talk about the topic, which is shrines, geisha and green tea stories from the cultural heart of Japan, Kyoto. So Kyoto, where is it located in Japan? It's quite in the central part or a bit, a little bit more south from the center. How far is it from Tokyo? Um, I think it's about 800 kilometers. Okay. okay. If I'm not mistaken. And from what I know, Kyoto is very much an important cultural heart of Japan. And my partner said when he lived in Japan, he actually lived in Kyoto for about 18 months or so. And he really enjoyed his time there. What is so special about Kyoto? What's going on there that's so interesting? Japan is often seen as the country of contrasts. And one of the contrasts is between different areas, especially between area, which is Kyoto and Osaka and uh, Nara, and Kanto area, which is represented by Tokyo and its surroundings. Kyoto is quite different than Tokyo. A few things that are different, for example, the dialect, the language is uh, quite different. If you speak a little bit of Japanese, you will uh, make the difference um, between Kansai dialect and the normal Japanese. And uh, also Kyoto is the traditional capital of Japan. There are lots of temples and shrines and traditional culture. And the colors of the city are also predominantly brown and even convenience stores, which usually have colorful colors such as bright blue or green. They are painted in brown in Kyoto to fit in with the colors of the city. 
people in uh, Kansai region, in Kyoto and Kansai region in general, are a bit a, a little bit more talkative and friendlier. They tend to joke more and they are just more relaxed than in Tokyo, for example. Why is it that travelers would want to come to Kyoto? They can experience a lot of traditional Japanese culture. For example, it's easy to rent a kimono or yukata if it's summer and walk around on the streets and visit temples, take pictures. Um, even Japanese do that too. They come to Kyoto um, for sizing and they wear traditional clothing and walk around. It's very normal to see that on the streets. And also there is no wrong timing to visit Kyoto because in each season there is something to see. In spring you can enjoy cherry blossom season and it's very beautiful. It's pink everywhere. And in autumn you can see the maple leaves which are in beautiful colors. And there are also lots of festivals. You should check the dates before going to Kyoto and see if there's any festival during your stay. But also you should be careful uh, because it can get pretty crowded during big festivals. And I remember going to Gion Festival, which is the biggest festival in Japan. And they were carrying very big and heavy portable shrines on streets. And everyone was walking also along with on the streets to see them. But it was so crowded that I was walking with my friends and at some point I lost my friends oh. in the crowds. Like I I think I tried to take a picture and I was just it was just one moment uh, when I wasn't paying attention and I lost my friends. I couldn't meet them after that. I don't really like crowds, so I tried to get out of the crowd and I had to get home really early. I couldn't enjoy much of the festival. Um, I think it would have been fun to watch it from above, from a tall building, but I also read that it's impolite to watch the god from above. Oh. So maybe it's not a good idea. <laughs> yes, from what I've heard, there's a lot of rules around etiquette in Japan. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure traveler might make some mistakes with that. Maybe we can talk about etiquette a little bit later. <laughs> so during the cherry blossom festivals, as you said, it's probably very, it is very busy. So is it hard to find accommodation during that time? Is it a lot more expensive at that time? If you book in advance, it should be fine, but you should book maybe at least three months in advance just to make sure. Yeah. If you try to just do a quick last minute trip, it might be mm, difficult. Okay. So another thing that you have some knowledge about and experience about is the Japanese tea ceremony. So would you mind telling us a little bit about that? And of course, we don't have pictures. We're just an audio podcast here. But maybe you can explain a little bit about this ritual. Um, actually, I haven't been to any tea ceremony since I came really? to Japan. I actually joined maybe once while I was in Romania uh, because uh, other countries tend to do this kind of traditional ceremonies to show to those that are interested. But uh, 
in Japan, I never actually had the chance to do it, but I do like uh, green tea and um, Kyoto is the perfect place uh, to try matcha, this strong green tea. And it comes in lots of different prices and different types. And the difference is how fine the powder is. So they are very different depending on the price and the quality. You can choose whatever works for you, but even the lowest quality is still very good. And uh, that's about it. It's, it's a good place to try it in Kyoto because there are lots of uh, drinks and lots of sweets with matcha, but maybe most of them are vegan, unfortunately. So how do people enjoy matcha tea? I'm sure they don't just have to go to tea ceremonies to enjoy them. Is it something that's served in cafes or in people's houses? How is it served and where is it served? Yes, I think lots of people just buy it to use it at home. There, There is like a small bowl and like a special like a whisk yes exactly there's a whisk and it's you just put like a little bit of tea with hot water and just whisk and that's all you need to do so normally people would go to cafes would travelers be able to identify a place that would serve green tea yes there are especially in Kyoto they are all over the city it's very easy you can find it almost anywhere and the best way to enjoy it is with a little bit of something sweet the little japanese dessert usually it's served with rice cakes japanese rice cakes which are sweet or some traditional sugar candy or something like that and it because it's bitter so it's good to serve near something sweet are you talking about mochi? Uh, yes. Okay, of course, I have tried mochi before. I actually really like it, even though it's very sticky and gluggy. It's really mm-hmm. quite tasty, and I'm pretty sure it's always vegan, correct? Yes, usually, but it depends how you feel about sugar, because sugar is sometimes might be using some like bones in the process sure sure okay kyoto is also a city of shrines so which ones are the most beautiful how do they play a part in japanese people's lives and maybe the etiquette for going into shrines as a non-buddhist non-japanese mm-hmm. person yes so in kyoto you can find shrines and temples they are from the two main religions in Japan, Shinto and Buddhism. Temples are Buddhist and shrines are Shinto. And in Shinto, people believe that there is God in every object or element of life. And you can differentiate shrines by their gates, tori, at the entrance, which are usually red, orange colored. And in Buddhism, they have like massive gates which are usually from wood and some places i would recommend it's higashiyama area which is in the east of east, eastern part of kyoto it's very famous for having lots of temples and shrines especially fushimi inari 
shrine. This one has uh, lots of uh, tori gates, lots of these uh, orange, red-orange painted gates. There are a lot of them and it's very nice and interesting to take pictures there and it's a very popular place. And for temples, I would recommend it's the Golden Temple, translated. And it's popular since it's covered in gold leaf. And however, you should prepare not to be very impressed by its size because it's a little bit smaller. And most people, if you look at pictures before going, you imagine it a little bit bigger. So some people are a little bit disappointed by its size, but it's still impressive and it's still a very nice place to visit. I spent quite a few years living in Thailand and throughout Southeast Asia, and there's quite a few things that travelers should know about before they go inside in terms of etiquette, in terms of not causing offense. I'm sure it's similar in Japan as well, but would you mind outlining what some of those things are? So usually there aren't many places where you actually go inside. Uh, people just align in front of the shrine or temple and they pray. They put their hands together and pray, uh, maybe throw in a little coin. Uh, it's usually a 5 yen coin that is thrown because uh, it's said that one brings luck. And it depends, at shrines usually you make a bow and clap twice and they make another bow. So you don't have to take your shoes off because you're outside in Thai temples, for example, you must take your shoes off. You must make sure that you have covered shoulders and ideally covered knees clothing shouldn't be too tight and you should not put your feet towards any Buddha statues. So it's not so strict like that in Japan. Yes, sometimes you can go inside the temple and that time usually you take your shoes off like everyone else is doing, but there aren't any strict rules regarding your clothing or anything like that. Of course, it's good to go as covered as possible in any religious place, but there aren't any very strict rules about that. So there are so many amazing things to do in Kyoto. I think normally when people go to visit Kyoto, they probably have maybe two days to pack as much in as they can. So why don't you, if you don't mind, if I were going to Kyoto for two days, what would be my itinerary what would you recommend that i do there are so many things to do and to see in kyoto then probably today's wouldn't be enough i would recommend at least three or four days however i think most people do only have one or two days so i would recommend not to try to go too far in one day because kyoto is a big city you probably will get around by bus that's the best to get around and see different places and uh, it does take time to get to one point to another, for example, to get to the east part, to the west part of Kyoto. So maybe you should try to do in one day the east part and one day the west part, 
I tried to combine to many places that are far from each other. So one day you could see the bamboo forest, for example, which is called Arashiyama. It's in the western part of Kyoto. And around it, maybe you can find some food for lunch, some traditional uh, shojin ryori, which is temple food, which is the traditional since uh, Kyoto has so many temples. Uh, you should definitely try it. You can uh, find it also at restaurants, not only at temples. Uh, and you should try to book in advance and also make sure that it's vegan because at restaurants, they usually uh, use fish stock. Is it like temple food? Yes, it's composed of many small dishes, a small soup and a tofu dish and some seasonal vegetable dishes, some tempura maybe and pickles as well. It looks very colorful and it's all very balanced. Okay. All right, so we've got lunch sorted out. What's next after lunch? You can continue visiting some temples in the area. You can also go to Ginkakuji, which I mentioned earlier. It's also around it, so it's quite close. <laughs> and after that, maybe dinner. <laughs> Do you have a personal recommendation of where to go for dinner? For dinner, you might need to go a little bit in the central part or a little bit in the south part depending on what you'd like to eat there are some there are some ramen shops vegan ramen shops in uh, kyoto as well and one place which i would recommend is called uzu ramen and if you're looking for something a little bit less not less traditional but traditional combined with modern experience you should go to this place is designed by Team Lab, which is the digital art company that designed several digital art museums. And I've only visited their shop in Tokyo, uh, but the one in Kyoto is a little bit more spacious, so I'm sure it's a good place. And you go into a dark room and there is digital art reflected on tables and there are mirrors wow. around. Yeah, it's very interesting. And not only the atmosphere, but also the ramen was very tasty. The one I had in Tokyo didn't have many vegetables, but I thought it was the best ramen I ever had. Everyone's favorite comfort food is ramen. It's just so good. I love ramen. I know I'm not alone in that. Okay, great. And what about entertainment in the evening after dinner? What kind of things do, do travellers like to do when they are in the evening? Is it bars or live music or shows? Yes, I'm sure you can find those too. Or you can go for geisha hunting <laughs> in, the, in Gion, which is the geisha district. Usually they go out in the evening around five or six or so because they have shows. So they get out of their houses and go to the restaurants where their clients are. Uh, so you might have the chance to see a real one there. Also, it's, it's not very polite to go too close to them or try to put your camera in their face. That's a lot of people are doing that and it's not very nice. But uh, yeah, you can see it from the distance and just enjoy the experience. Wow. And there are also, there's quite a big river in the city and you can and there are lots of bars more traditional and old places to eat but there are also 
that vegan friendly, unfortunately. But you can go there for a drink and just enjoy the view with the river. I guess have some sake or some Japanese beer. Or... We've had a wonderful first day. What about day two? Maybe breakfast. We didn't talk about breakfast. Maybe the hotel doesn't include breakfast. What would be a great way to have breakfast? Oh, that's quite a tough one because not many Japanese cafes are open for breakfast. So it's definitely better to choose a place where you can eat breakfast in the hotel. Or you can also just grab something from the convenience store, but it won't be as pleasant. <laughs> so you can go and visit the temples and shrines around Higashiyama in the east side to this time. The one that I was talking about earlier, Fushimi Inari, it's in the east side. And each temple and shrine is different, so it's just fun to take the day and do a tour of the temples and shrines. And also there are some streets that are more traditional with lots of souvenirs. So you can easily just spend one day just visiting half of the entire area. Oh, I can't wait until our trip to Japan finally happens. There's uh, quite a vegan community in Kansai region in Osaka and Kyoto, there are some vegans there. And they used to have more meetups, but I think since COVID, there aren't so many events currently. You could go on Facebook if you want in advance and just tell people that you're going and if ask if anyone is willing to meet, meet up uh, or even organize a meetup. I think people would be quite open to this. Yes. so. Yeah, you can go on Facebook and because they are all online at these times. I met with a friend, he, he's Australian, but we were in Thailand. And at that time, I was one of the organizers for the Bangkok Vegan Meetups group. And I would organize and generally speaking, you know, 10 people might show up. And my friend Michael, he went to Japan and he went up. I can't remember exactly where it was. And it was just a random meetup, nothing special. There were 80 people there. So I think vegans <laughs> in Japan maybe really love to meet up and hang out. So definitely, I think that's a great idea, Alina. Go online, see if there's any meetups around, make mm -hmm. some new Japanese vegan friends. Alina, you've just created your website. It's in Japanese. So how might people follow you and what is your website? So my website is vegan omotenashi and uh, I've just created it for now. It's just for Japanese potential Japanese customers for my hospitality business. But in the future, I'm actually thinking of adding travel blog also in English. And I hope to do something useful also for people who come to visit Japan. Uh, for vegans especially because there are lots of travel podcasts about japan but i couldn't find too much about traveling in japan as a vegan so i'm trying to create it while i'm traveling and trying to discover more vegan friendly places omotenashi means uh, hospitality in japanese language and it's the japanese way of doing hospitality the uh, way where they do their best to serve the clients the best they can. My idea is that it 
that hospitality should be inclusive of vegans. I agree with that. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Alina, for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that episode and will connect with Alina and follow what she's doing for more tips to do vegan travel. Stay tuned for more episodes that will help you get ready to discover this beautiful planet, whether you stay in your local area or go further afield. If you're interested in finding out more about World Vegan Travel and what we do, please check out our website, worldvegantravel.com. If you like this podcast and want to dig a little deeper into the content we make, you can do that by going to the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. Consider subscribing and leaving a review and we hope you'll join us next time.